0: Welcome to Overflow, the podcast exploring what is and is not inherently visible about those who build with Webflow. I'm Matthew Munger from the Webflow community team, and in each episode, we highlight the unique perspectives, passions, and experiences that fuel the creative mind of our guest. From San Francisco in the United States, we're joined by full-stack developer Keegan Leary. Keegan, who is known online as WebBay, made the transition from military service to a full-stack developer focusing on extending Webflow's capabilities, especially with JavaScript, and teaching others how to do the same. In this episode, we'll discuss everything from life in a submarine, to the importance of defining project requirements and scope with clients, plus the benefits of smaller projects for learning faster and getting paid sooner. Featuring Keegan Leary, this is Overflow. Hey, Keegan, it's a pleasure to speak with you today.
1: Thanks for having me, Matt.
0: So to get us started, why don't you quickly introduce yourself so that those who may not know you yet get to know a little bit about you?
1: My name's Keegan. I go by WebBay Online. I have been using Webflow for a little over a year now. Mostly my identity is tied up in my military career. I was in the military for ten years as a submarine officer, but got out of that and really had been wanting to learn how to code. And so that's I started with Webflow and then kind of got my hands on JavaScript and that's been my main focus in the last year.
0: Where are you located?
1: Yeah, I'm in San Francisco. I'm in a neighborhood called Lower Pack Heights. Very cool. What
0: do you like about living there in San Francisco?
1: I grew up south of here in Palo Alto or Menlo mm-hmm. Park, if you're familiar with the area. And I've just always loved California. I love that we have access to the beach and the mountains and and all the outdoor stuff. There's a lot of great food here in San Francisco too that I enjoy. But for mostly, it's for like the California weather and the outdoors, that sort of thing. I did live in Hawaii for three years too, oh. uh, so I would I would easily I could easily be convinced to move back to Hawaii. Those are kind of the two places on my radar are California and Hawaii.
0: When you go out of the house and you're not working, what do you like to where do you like to go visit? You mentioned nature do you like to go
1: out? Yeah. So we have like just north of the city is Marin. They have a lot of nice trails over there. My girlfriend lives in Oakland. So we spend a lot of time on the trails in the East Bay as well. We're both training for a marathon and then a 50 K and then a 50 miler. So a lot of my time is spent running these days uh, if I'm not at the computer, (laughs) but yeah, there's, there's trails all over the place and South Bay has some mountains or trails on it. I'm very close to Golden Gate Park. I'm over in Golden Gate Park as far as the outdoors go. And then uh, I enjoy Tahoe as well. I'm heading up to Tahoe this weekend to, uh, to get some snow.
0: And what about just around town outside of running and nature? What do you like to do?
1: I like to go out to eat is probably one of the main things. All right. So G- give lots. us
0: give us uh, some tips.
1: I live pretty close to Japantown. So there's a, I think it's called like Marafuku Ramen or something. That, that's a good ramen spot. Lots of good sushi over there too. I like to cook. So I make my own pasta. I make my own breads and that sort of thing. Eating, running, and, and workflow. That's kind of <laughs> like my three activities, I guess.
0: What does your workspace look like?
1: I do all my work on a 16-inch laptop for the most part. I have one of these widescreen monitors. So I have like in front of me my laptop and then my microphone set up with a little interface. I don't know, I have a light here. My bed is right over there. So like I got the definitely the home office thing going on. I like to move around too. I do a lot of work from my couch. I have a nice easy chair. I found a lazy boy on the street. (laughs) So (laughs) I I do a lot of coding in that easy chair. I have two other chairs that I got for 200 bucks on Craigslist that are Pottery Barn, really big. I like big comfy things. Yeah, my workspace is like I have in my my bedroom, my desk, but I, I prefer to hop around through the apartment as the day goes on, change it up a little bit.
0: Do you have any interesting objects near you maybe that have a story by them?
1: I've got this. It's a Louisville slugger bat. So the submarine I was on was called the USS Louisville and everybody in the crew signs it and like gives you a nice little message and stuff. So this reminds me of a lot of like terrible, but also wonderful times that I had on the submarine. How big is the crew? It's anywhere from 115 to 140 or 150, depending on kind of what we're doing and how long we're going out for. The longest I spent without feet on dry land was 45 days. Uh, They try to get you in port every 30 days or so, but it depends. You know, if you're on mission, then you might just be out until like the mission is complete kind of thing. Wow. We did a six month deployment where we skipped around through Asia. We had port calls in Japan and Singapore and Guam, Okinawa, those places. So
0: that sounds like quite the experience. What's it like life on a submarine?
1: It becomes very routine. Like the days kind of all blend together and become the same day in and day out. You know, there's yeah, what different is stuff. A day? Yeah, we so the way we do it is we divide a day. It used to be, it used to run on an 18 hour schedule and they would divide that into three. So you would stand, there were six hour watches. There's essentially mm. kind of like three teams on board. You have okay. a day watch, a swing shift, and then a we call it the mids watch. Mm. So you have three different shifts on board. So you're standing watch one of those shifts. And then after that is the time that you support the on watch shift. So if they need like relief to go to a meeting or to use the bathroom or to eat food or whatever, then wow. you're kind of standing by and then you have six hours supposedly to sleep. When you take steel and submerge it in salt water, a lot of things break. So a lot of my, your time gets spent like making sure things are fixed or dealing with problems. We did move to a 24 hour day cycle as well, though, to try to be more in sync with circadian rhythm. Right. And I think that helped. But an eight hour watch is is quite long long. as well. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. Because you're on eight hours of active watch and then eight hours kind of on call Mm -hmm. after that.
1: Yeah. And that downtime is often spent doing, you know, you have a lot of normal administrative work, emails. And luckily, you can only get emails internally when you're underwater. But we come (laughs) up maybe, you know, we have a cycle where we come up and and we call it copying the broadcast where we we Um, download a bunch of messages from satellite and they tell us all the (laughs) stuff we need to be doing out there. So. It's pretty wild, like just for us to send a, you know, a two megabyte image yeah. in from the middle of the Pacific Ocean. It can actually, it's rough, especially for at periscope depth, and we're getting wave slap over our antenna. Mm-hmm. Then it'll like just log off the whole system, and you'll have to reboot, you know, kind of thing. So it's uh, it's, like back it's to pretty dial-up. wild. It it really is, yeah. Wow. People always want to know how deep it can go, and I, I'm not allowed to tell that. But it's it's pretty <laughs> right. accurate on Wikipedia if you if you just look up on Wikipedia.
0: How, how does the depth affect you and your body? Not
1: too body much, ends. as we when we're like rapidly changing depth, you can you feel like that pressure change, like when you're in an airplane. Uh, mm-hmm. So you just kind of pop your ears and that sort of thing. One of the interesting things, the pressure that we feel in the hull affects the partial pressure of oxygen and carbon dioxide in the mm-hmm. hull. Depending on the time of day, how many people are awake and what we're doing, if we're running drills or not, like the atmospheres inside the submarine fluctuate pretty wildly. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's really important. Every 15 minutes, I would check the logs and, you know, we might have to increase our oxygen bleed or start another CO2 scrubber. That was, to me, kind of the most interesting part was how to maintain the atmosphere so that, you know, sometimes the oxygen will get low that people are like getting woozy and tired and that right. sort of thing. So maintaining oxygen or er, atmospheres is, is very interesting to me. Pretty cool. Like all the, all the stuff you learn in physics, one-on-one class like comes into play when you, when you contain 140 human beings on a, in a steel cylinder. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah.
0: <laughs> want to stay alive. You want to be able to breathe. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. When you're not running or coding, what do you like to
1: do? I'm a little bit late to the game, but I'm working on my sourdough right now. I like going to shows, you know, I like, I like comedy. So I'll go to comedy shows, a lot of stuff in the city to check out. I'm going to a show called Tech Roast tomorrow, where they just roast tech workers. Check out their Instagram. If you haven't, they're, they're pretty funny. Tech Roast.
0: We may have already covered this, but is there anything that would surprise people to learn about you?
1: Yeah. The submarine is always, the military career is always the good one. You know, kind of the places I've lived is, is an interesting one. I, I lived on the East Coast in Charleston, South Carolina for a year. I lived in upstate New York for a year. I lived in Hawaii for three years. I lived in Ottawa, Canada for two years. Those are some things you can do a handstand. What, what, what else <laughs> is there?
0: How long can you hold that handstand?
1: Back when I was like really working on it, I would time out to like a minute or two. Uh, so I can I can hold it for quite a bit, but I don't, I don't do it as often as I anymore, <laughs> I suppose. Usually it's like when I'm hanging out with little kids and little kids, you know, get rambunctious yeah. and run around and uh, want to show me all the cool tricks they know. I'm like, well, watch this trick. And it, <laughs> it always impresses the little kids for sure.
0: Yeah. What is your day-to-day role and how would you describe what you do?
1: It's all, it feels kind of all over the place, but you know, every day I'm in Webflow, what I like doing is using custom code to kind of unlock new features in Webflow or to do things that Webflow doesn't have native capability for at the moment. And by doing that, actually, I've really been able to dig into the meat of HTML and CSS in JavaScript, which, which has been really good for my my personal learning. You know, a lot of the stuff I've learned from Webflow applies in React and when I'm building serverless kind of software kind of stuff. But my day-to-day role, back to your original question, is just open the laptop. If I have client work, then I, I usually focus on, on my client work. If I have extra time, then it's either filming YouTube or coming up with an idea for YouTube and then just building little applications or extensions or trying to, you know, just kind of trying different things out and seeing uh, what I can learn.
0: For your client work, since you consider yourself more of a developer, are you working with a designer or do people come to you with designs?
1: People almost always come to me with designs. Sometimes they have some cool things that don't really fit well on web. And so it's Mm -hmm. good for me because it always presents a unique challenge. Like, okay, how can I get this to work? But at some point, you know, there has to be me discussing with a designer. Can we do it this way or, or that sort of thing?
0: I'm curious, what are some of those other kind of artifacts that clients try to come with to you with? Are they, I mean, do you still Photoshop files? I mean, what are we talking about?
1: Oh, I've gotten everything. Yeah. XD, Photoshop, Figma, what else? You know, I have one client who likes to send me copy on a Word document and then transfer it over. So, so no I'll,
0: design, just the content.
1: Yeah. A lot of times it'll just be, here's a website that I like. Can we create something similar? I, I actually like that a lot. If I can, you know, kind of artfully steal, I guess, uh, (laughs) a design from, (laughs) from a website. So different things like that. Uh, I'm working with one client right now. It's been a learning experience for both of us as far as specifying project requirements. I've found since day one, that is the most useful skill is being Mm. able to articulate project requirements and and define scope.
0: So around that, do you have any advice for others in the community? Like how do you control scope creep or how do you really define those requirements well up front?
1: Yeah. For me, I wish I had stayed with smaller projects. I was always eager to take on larger projects and I wish I had just been able to tell myself, like, deal with smaller client projects first, because I was just like, I had just gotten out of the military, I didn't want to get a, a real job in air quotes. I was just freelancing. So I was on Upwork, you know, and on Upwork, it can be tough, a little bit of a race to the bottom, but it was great for my skill development just to be able to take small projects and then move to another project. And because to have a large project can really suck away your time and you'll be spending a lot of time learning things that you could, I think you could learn faster just by having a lot of smaller projects. So my one big piece of advice for myself is just take the small projects and, and don't worry about getting these really large kind of scale projects from the start.
0: Right. Cause those can kind of seem like glamorous, but yeah, start with small projects that gave you kind of bite-sized challenges that you can just keep leveling up and layering your skill set.
1: Yeah. And also just getting paid, like it's easier to get paid faster. You know, when you have a larger project and you're maybe not, it's a little bit of a stretch for, I had one, I can remember one project, it was definitely a stretch for me. If I logged, like looked at my hourly rate for that, it was way under minimum wage for sure.
0: <laughs> right. And then you uh, might have to wait months for the payout. Yeah. What would you say excites you and motivates you about what you're doing?
1: This is fun fun. I love development because it's it feels like anything is possible. And I really like the feeling of building something and like putting it out to the world and like, look what I did. Or like, here's, you know, I built a thing kind of. So what excites me is that with just a laptop, you can do that. There's so many good resources out there to learn. You don't need like a super powerful laptop or anything. So th- that's what's motivating for me is just building things. And it's just really satisfying. So
0: yeah, the entry requirements are lower than mm-hmm. a lot of other professions.
1: I really like the idea of being able to travel and not being tied to a specific location for work I I do miss going into the office and like bantering with people and that sort of thing so there's some degree of that that is needed and and I have really been enjoying contracting with FinSuite in that regard uh, because it does give me a team to interact with and all that when I was just freelancing by myself it was definitely a lonely endeavor. So
0: finding those places where you can either work with others or just kind of get that contact.
1: Yeah and Twitter's Twitter's been good too. Using Twitter and meeting people I feel like I'm building a professional network that I didn't really have when I was in the military which was this gigantic organization uh, feels like I'm actually able to develop some pretty meaningful connections through there
0: what is a resource that you think more people in the community should know about you know in the wetflow community
1: you know we have weflow Conf once a year but I'm not a huge fan of just going to conferences for the sake of sitting through boring seminars more for <laughs> trying to network and like setting up yeah. stuff with people ahead of time so just trying to meet my Twitter friends in person is is really what I'm doing but curating your Twitter feed can help a lot too you know my Twitter feed is pretty Webflow heavy. I make sure to have some JavaScript experts. To me, that's like really helped me grow in Webflow is by focusing on stuff that's not just Webflow as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. If there's an area you're interested in, or if there are people you want to collaborate with in the future, it doesn't mean that you need to have those exact same skills as they do. Often you want those complementary skills to be able to collaborate in the future. Okay, within the Webflow community, who is someone that inspires you?
1: Oh, a ton, but it's easy to call out Alex Iglesias here. Just really impressed by the tools that he built and the quality of his coding. He's like my hero in in the Webflow community for sure, as well as Joe Krug. So Joe Krug, I just like got to meet a lot of the FinSuite team at last Webflow conf, and it was pretty unique the the team that he's built, just like of people around the world around Webflow. Like yeah. Uh, so as far as like a business uh, hero, that would be Joe Krug, and then I love Tim Ricks' content. I'm definitely heavily uh, inspired by by his stuff. Absolutely. I like how he's he's so good at design and development. So he can do both. And to me, like how he makes all his tutorials beautiful and succinct, very inspiring.
0: And then lastly, is there any other advice that you would like to share other than your 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 one earlier of start with small projects?
1: You know, there's a lot of unexpected benefits that come with being more active on Twitter and YouTube. I'm not telling everybody you have to start a Twitter or you have to like be active on YouTube, but I would give it as advice. Um, I've gotten jobs through Twitter, just people like, hey, um, you know, we have this JavaScript bug. Anybody know? And somebody will tag me. And Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden I've got, you know, uh, a week of work in the bank kind of thing. So just kind of compounds. It it helps you meet people. Um, So sharing what you're building. What inspired me to do that was the Austin Kleon series of books. I think it's Mm -hmm. called um, How to Steal Like an Artist is one of them and uh, some books like that. So those books are quick reads and, and pretty inspiring.
0: All right. If anyone in the community would like to reach out to connect with you, Keegan, how can they do that?
1: Twitter's the easiest way. Web is Bay is my Twitter handle. Uh, I'm on YouTube. You can search Keegan Leary and Google. Like I'm all over the place. Look for the, the orange background or the schmuck in the uniform. And that's, <laughs> that's probably me.
0: This was an Overflow episode with Keegan Leary produced by the Webflow community team with music by Joseph McDade. To learn more about the Webflow community, please visit webflow.com community. I've been your host, Matthew Munger, thanks for listening.